John 15 in your Bibles. Title of the message, The Disciples' Source of Strength. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses this evening. I went out and got this branch just a few minutes ago. It was lying outside underneath a tree. Now this branch is somewhat soft still. A little But for the most part, it's a dead branch. It's lying on the ground. Has no leaves on it. No nuts, no fruit. I look on the inside. It's it's brown. There's no life in this branch. If I were to ask you in this room why it is this branch is dead, you would probably tell me something like, well, because it's no longer on the tree. It has fallen off the tree, therefore it cannot receive the nutrients that the tree can give it, that it needs to survive, therefore it is dead. You know, trees, plants, they are truly amazing. The entire sustenance of a tree comes from the roots, as it absorbs water, as it absorbs nutrients from the soil. The branches, they play a very important role. The leaves from those branches absorb the sun, they absorb the carbon dioxide. However, the branches are entirely supplied in their health and their nutrients by the trunk of the tree itself. Now the branches, they bear the fruit. The branches, they grow the leaves. It is through the fruit and through the leaves of a tree that a tree is known, identified, profitable. But the sustenance of the tree is the roots and the trunk. What Jesus Christ calls in chapter 15 of John, the vine. The branches do indeed manifest beauty. They manifest benefits. But without the vine, without the trunk, without the roots to sustain and empower those branches, they become dead, lifeless, and really useless. What do my wife and I do with these branches as we see them around our yard? We gather them up and we put them in the fire pit. And the next time we have a fire... These branches are going to become the kindling with which our fire gets started. And that's what we see these dead branches is good for. Kindling. In John 15, Jesus gives an illustration of a vine and its branches. In much the same way as our illustration above, in much the same way as we think of a tree with its branches, or perhaps a a vine and its branches, or a plant and its leaves and branches... A branch, when separated from the vine or from the stem, is worthless. And so as Jesus continues instructing His disciples, and He is indeed instructing His disciples here, He is going to use the picture of a vine and its branches to reveal that the disciple's source of strength, of empowerment, the means by which a disciple receives that which he needs to bear fruit in this life, 
rests exclusively in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you have your notes there, you'll see that the proposition, if you will, is three steps along the path of discipleship. As we think about these steps, it will be particularly as our discipleship is rooted in Jesus Christ alone. As we are abiding, as we are connected to the vine, we as the branches, as we are a part of that vine, these steps that we will see along the path of discipleship. And we're going to begin at the beginning because Jesus Christ begins at the beginning here and then we'll work through the concept of discipleship together. The first step along this path of discipleship is found in verses 1 through 3. A true disciple has borne fruit unto salvation. A true disciple has borne fruit unto salvation. And this is very important because Jesus Christ is laying a foundation here. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 15 of John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, Arise, let us go hence. You can see that in verse 31. Arise, let us go hence. It would seem that they had left the upper room at that point. They were in the upper room. Jesus Christ was speaking with them in the upper room. And at this point, they have left the upper room. And they are journeying now to the garden of Gethsemane. They will not pass over the brook Cedron for a while, not until chapter 18. And so, it would seem that chapters 15, 16, and 17 took place between the time that they arose to go hence and the time that they crossed over the brook. I can imagine then that as Jesus Christ was walking with His disciples, they have left the upper room, they're on the way, and perhaps they passed by a vineyard. And as they passed by this vineyard, Jesus Christ saw it as an opportunity to teach these disciples something. And in the verse, first three verses of his teaching here in John 15, he lays a foundation for his command, a foundation for everything that is to come. He begins by saying that he is the true vine. The idea of a vine here would be that branch or that, excuse me, that trunk or that which supplies the branches. In terms of a vineyard, the vine would be the means by which the, the individual branches receive their sustenance. And by this, Jesus Christ is definitively stating that He is the true, the exclusive source of life. Now, as He declares Himself to be the source of life, there are two different contexts in which He declares this. We know this from His other teachings. It's not declared here, but we know this from, from earlier in the book of John as well as through the, the epistles. He is the exclusive source of physical life. Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. If you go to the context, you'll find that Jesus Christ is indeed the context of Colossians chapter 1. He's created all things. He sustains all things. By Him, all things consist. He is the exclusive source of physical life. 
But we know as well that he is the exclusive source of spiritual life. Acts 4.12 is very familiar to us. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The exclusive source of physical life, the exclusive source of, of spiritual life, Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine. The exclusive vine. The the true source of that which is life. And he says, my father is the husbandman. My father is the one that tends. My father is the one that has authority over the plant, as it were. Now within this picture, Jesus portrays men as branches. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. We must remember that this is a parable. As Jesus Christ describes this, he's giving an illustration Jesus is not seeking doctrinal specificity about every element of this illustration. Now, to that end, these branches are connected to the vine. But as we look at this, uh, these first three verses, it must become clear to us that as Jesus Christ says that there are branches that are not bearing fruit, in this context, he is speaking of unbelievers. Now, this brings us to an interpretive crossroads, whereby we must try to understand what Jesus Christ is saying here spiritually. Now, we don't fully know what is pictured here. Perhaps by this, Jesus is speaking of all men, that all men are in him in the sense that they are all attached to him, perhaps because of that teaching from Colossians chapter 1 that we read, that he is the giver of physical life. Therefore, all men have some obligation to Christ. It could also mean uh, that Jesus Christ is, is specifically speaking of those who would claim to be his disciple, claim to be his follower, whether they are indeed a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus Christ or not. I favor the first explanation, that Jesus Christ is speaking of the world. And, of course, we know in the epistles that when one says they are in Christ, 1 Corinthians tells us, if, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, all things are become new, And so we can't interpret this passage, these three verses, in that same idea of a branch being in Christ, meaning that they are, in fact, a believer. You say, well, pastor, why can't we reckon this as believers? Why can't we just say that this is believers? Well, because of verse 3. Because of the end of verse 2 and verse 3. And I'll get there in just a moment. Really, in the broad scheme of things, as we look at these three verses... It doesn't matter as much how we interpret the branch that is in Him, but more so the concept of what Jesus Christ is teaching here, that there is a specific subset of men who have received Christ. He says that every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Jesus Christ says that life is sourced in Himself, as it is received by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You say, Pastor, I'm not quite putting it all together yet. I don't quite understand why we have to be talking about unbelievers and believers here. That word purge. He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. That word, purge, is very important to this context. 
Let me put together a few pieces here from what we've learned already, and then we'll discuss this word purge. It can be very confusing. Jesus told us in John 6, that no man can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. He told us in John 12, verse 32, that when Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. As we think about these concepts, as we think about Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he reminds us that, no, that there is no man that is without excuse for creation and a man's conscience testify of God and of judgment to every man. Now in all these teachings, we recognize this foundational truth. That God is the giver of salvation, that Jesus Christ is the only way in which a man can receive that salvation, and that those who do not receive this salvation are condemned to a sinner's hell by virtue of their choice to reject Jesus Christ as Savior. So as Jesus talks here about vines, excuse me, about branches that do not bear fruit, he is speaking directly to the reality that all men at some point in their lives are confronted with the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, and must make an informed decision to accept or reject the light that has been given to them. Those branches that do not bear fruit, Jesus Christ says, are taken away. And all those that do bear fruit remain. Now these that bear fruit are men and women who at some point have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior by grace through faith. And he says that every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Literally, that word meaning to cleanse from impurity or to prune. It was a word that meant to prune back a plant. It was also a word, literally, that meant to cleanse. It was, it, it, it's a general word for cleansing. And what's most interesting is as we get to verse 3, Jesus Christ says, now ye are clean. Guess what? It's the exact same root word. Now, He purgeth it, that's a verb. Now ye are clean, that is an adjective. So it's not the same word because it's a different different part of speech. But it's the exact same root. It's the exact same, the idea of cleansing. The same root word. Pastor, what does that mean? Do you remember back in John 13? Back when Jesus Christ was kneeling to washed the feet of his disciples, and Peter said, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have me, not a part of me. And Peter says, well, wash all of me then, Christ. And remember what Jesus tells him? You're already clean. You don't need to be washed again. You just need to have your feet washed. As we talked about that, we paralleled that to the Christian life that when we are saved, we are saved. We don't need to be re-saved when we sin, but sometimes the sin of the world collects on our feet. We collect the dust of that sin on our feet and we need to go to Christ and be cleansed. And so we don't need to get re-saved. Jesus Christ says when you're clean, you're clean. But you need to have that dust washed off your feet. Jesus Christ tells them here, now ye are clean. Ye have been, according to verse 2, one that bear fruit and has been purged. There is no believer that has not been purged in the context of John 15, 2. Therefore, as we see the contrast between a branch that is taken away and a branch that is purged, 
It must be the contrast between a branch that has never received the gospel, that has never received Christ, and a branch that has received Christ. Because every single person that receives Christ is purged in the sense of what it's talking about in John, John 15 too. All of that to say that a true believer is one, a true disciple is one who has borne fruit unto salvation. And this is the context, this is the foundation upon which this chapter resides. Jesus Christ will no longer be speaking about salvation. He has said, the branches that don't bear fruit are taken away, the branches that do bear fruit, they are cleansed, they are purged, so that they may bear more fruit. And now you are those purged. You are those who are clean. Remember, he's only talking to 11 now. Judas has already left the picture. Judas Iscariot is gone already. These 11 are indeed purged. And now it's time to talk to the purged. The rest of this chapter is not in the context of salvation. The rest of this chapter is in the context of discipleship. We must understand that. Or else we're going to interpret things very wrongly. A true disciple has borne fruit unto salvation. The second step, the second point this evening, a true disciple is expected to be a continual fruit bearer. We saw it in verse 2, did we not? Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Why? That, in order that it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit. Now to these true disciples in verse 4, Jesus Christ has a command. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. We've seen this word abide many, many times in the book of John. In fact, the word comes up 41 times in the epistle of John alone. In John 15 alone, the word comes up 12 times. It's a very common word in the book of John, to abide. The word literally means to remain to draw from as our source. This branch at one time was abiding with the tree in which it came from. But at some point, it was removed from the tree. The tree was no longer its source. It no longer drew from its source. It no longer abided, abode. It stopped abiding Jesus Christ commands His disciples to abide in Me. Seek to Christ for their source of life and their source of strength. Why? Why abide in Him? Because just as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it is nurtured by the vine, so too you cannot bear fruit unless you are living in and through Jesus Christ. Now, I trust you see why it's so important we see this as a parable. We see this as an illustration and not as a one-to-one analogy. Because Jesus Christ will be speaking of the possibility of a disciple not abiding in Him. We'll see that in just a moment. And if we're, ca- we're not careful, we can interpret this to mean loss of salvation. We can interpret this to mean complete severing from Christ because as we look at trees and we look at branches, when they cease to abide... They fall off. Let's not take the illustration any farther than Jesus gives us leave to do so. Let's be careful that we are interpreting Jesus Christ's words within the context of Scripture 
comparing Scripture with Scripture in order that we come to the proper interpretation. And so Jesus Christ says in verses 5 and 6, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Uh Uh-oh, pastor. This is getting difficult. How could Jesus Christ be speaking to his disciples, those who are already purged, those who are already cleansed, and speak of men casting them out and throwing them into the fire? Now, the interpretation of verse 6 can take us one of two ways without directly contradicting other scripture. What can it not mean? It cannot mean that a man can lose his salvation. Why? Because there are a myriad of scriptures that teach us that a man cannot lose his salvation. We have seen them in John. We saw them in we saw it in John 3:16 even. Many of those familiar verses assure us that when a man is saved, he is saved. In fact, Jesus Christ even said in John 13, as we just mentioned, once you are clean, you don't need to be clean again. You are clean once you're clean. Jesus, however, could go... We, we could interpret this two different ways without contradicting Scripture. First, we could believe or we could understand Jesus Christ here to be referencing the unsaved those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, as we saw in verse 2, and that those are taken away. I do not believe that to be a proper interpretation because Jesus Christ has already told these men that they are clean. He has commanded them to abide in Him, and then He warns them that if a man, it doesn't say, He doesn't go back to the context of verse 2. He doesn't go back to those who are not cleansed. He says, if a man, those who He has commanded to abide in Him, abide not in Him, That is the one who is cast forth as a branch and withered. Rather, Jesus is speaking of believers who have ceased to bear more fruit than the fruit that they bore at their salvation. And therefore, they have become unprofitable and they have become carnal. Now, let me give you the reasons why I favor this. I already told you that Jesus has spoken of this distinction between the unbeliever and the believer in verses 1 through 3. But Jesus, in this description of these branches that are cast forth, He describes them as withering. The picture is something that is is or has dried up that once had life. The branch that is in Christ, as Christ described in verse 2, that has never borne fruit can't wither because it never bore fruit to begin with. But Jesus says that the man that abides not in him is withered. The idea that it once had life and it has life no more. My wife and I come across this concept more often than we would like at our home. We just got back from a vacation and a few of the plants in the house were withered. We didn't really think long term about a plan to water those plants while we were gone. And we came back to the house and found these plants in much worse condition than when we left. We had failed to set up, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll take a water bottle, we'll poke a hole in it, we'll put it in the pot so that it'll drip water or something to that effect. We'd forgotten to do any of that. And so our plants had withered, looking dry. Well, 
Our plants were looking dry because we had once seen them not withered. And when we saw them at the end of our vacation, we recognized quite clearly this is withered. Jesus Christ used a word here that speaks of that which had life but has life no longer. Something that has dried up. Now this is not definitive. We must not put too much emphasis on the nuances of these parables as we've talked about before. But the context and the content of this warning makes me most confident in this interpretive track as we study on 15. And so my comments following are going to follow this interpretive idea that Jesus Christ is speaking to disciples here. And if that is the case, Jesus' warning is very severe against the disciple who does not find his strength and abide in Christ. We mentioned in April, as I was preaching a message in Hebrews chapter 10, a similar concept. When the Scriptures speak of fire, aside from places where it's speaking of literal physical fire that a man has kindled, it almost, without exception, speaks of judgment. The idea of fire is a scriptural illustration of judgment. However, as we remember from Hebrews chapter 10, judgment is not always eternal in nature, nor does it always speak of damnation and hell. In Hebrews 10, in fact, it was speaking of judgment upon believers. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, we learn that every man's work will be made manifest and tried by fire. And as believers, those works which are unprofitable will be burned, causing us to suffer great loss before the throne. So there is precedence as we look into the epistles in particular to understand Jesus Christ's teaching here, the man that is withered and gathered up and burned as a man who has become unprofitable and will suffer the fires of judgment, though not necessarily judgment unto damnation. And so it is valid for us to interpret John 13, verse 6, as a warning to you and I. And if you think about it in that context, let me read it again. If a man abide not in me, he is cast, cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Just like Jesus Christ taught in Matthew chapter 5, that we are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, he says, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but what? But to be cast down and to be trodden under foot of men. So too, the branch that withers, that does not abide, that loses its savor, that is not bearing fruit, is unprofitable and is good for nothing but to be cast out, just as that salt that has lost its savor. However, Jesus Christ, in His warning to abide, gives a great contrast in verses 7-11 through 11 to this unprofitable disciple. Look at what He says in verse 7. If ye abide in Me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. The believer who is abiding, as opposed to the one who is not abiding, the disciple who is not drawing his strength, drawing his source, his ability, is not bearing fruit as he draws that strength from Christ, 
as opposed to that believer, the one who is abiding, the one who does draw his strength from Christ, the one who does live daily yielded to Jesus Christ. He's abiding. So he's bearing fruit unto righteousness. So he's becoming more like Christ. So he's conforming his heart to God's heart. And this will be a man, according to verse 7, whose prayers shall be answered. These prayers will be answered because, as we saw in John 14, this is a man or a woman who is asking in Jesus' name. You remember us talking about that together a couple of weeks ago, what it means to ask in Jesus' name. It does not mean that we are inventing his moniker. It means that we are coming to God conformed to Christ. That we are coming according to the person, to the work, and to the teaching of Jesus Christ just as we believe on His name unto salvation, we pray in His name and God hears and God answers. It also means that we're not coming to consider upon our own lusts, but bringing our petitions to God in alignment with God's purposes and God's will for God's glory, or at least with the purpose of bringing oneself in alignment to God's will. The progression then is as follows. We bear fruit unto salvation. That is, the moment we accept Christ as our Savior, we bear the fruit of salvation. We are then purged, cleansed, so that we might bring forth more fruit. We begin to abide. We are drawing our strength from the vine, which is Christ. Our branch is attached to Christ. It We abide. It continues to bear fruit. It is abiding in the vine. The more we abide, the more we conform our hearts to God's heart, the more we understand God's will, the more we understand God's person, His work, His character, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, the closer we grow to God. Throughout this process, we are bringing our petitions to God. For God's power is realized in our lives through prayer. God hears us. And because our hearts are in line with His heart, because our will is in line with His will, those prayers are in line with His will. And He will gladly delight in giving us the desires of our heart. This is the privilege of the fruit bearer. So Christ says, look with me in verses 8-11, through Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. That's how you do it. You obey Him. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And notice what He says in verse 11. These things do joy might remain that same word, abide, in you, and that your joy might be full. We abide in Christ. We bear fruit through Christ. His joy abides in us. Therefore, our joy is full. As a disciple, as a and never be happier than the center of God's will. And I can testify to you from experience 
that being a believer, having a purpose, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, but not abiding in Christ is a miserable place for the believer to be. Have you ever felt the joy after you leave a conversation when you have had the privilege of reflecting the Word of God to someone who needs to hear it? Have you ever felt that joy? That was the joy that began me on the path toward full-time ministry. I was 13 years old. This was well before I responded fully to the call. I had just led my best friend and his cousin to Christ. Couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. I felt that joy. It's a fullness of joy that is only, I have only ever found when I have found myself in the center of God's will for me. That is the description of this context in John 15. That as the branch is abiding, as we are abiding in Christ, drawing our power from Him, we are bearing fruit. It is the fruit that is empowered by Christ through the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it is bringing us We're fulfilling our purpose. We're connected to the vine. We have a vibrant life. We have a vibrant joy through that life. Not like this, which is dead, which is withered, which is good for nothing, but to be thrown into the fire for kindling. A true disciple has borne fruit unto salvation. A true disciple is expected to be a continual fruit bearer. Third and finally, a true disciple's continual fruit will be evidenced in love. Jesus focuses in here in his fruit-bearing command, in his abiding command, in verses 12 through 17. Jesus reiterates the new commandment that he introduced to us in John 13, 34. In fact, this command is bookended in our point. I said that this point is 12 through 17. We see the command in verse 12. We see it in verse 17. He says, this is my commandment, verse 12, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. You and I as disciples of Jesus Christ are expected to bear fruit. And on the very front lines of our fruit bearing, the very foremost attribute whereby we bear fruit as we abide in Christ, is love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22. But as we read the book of Galatians, particularly Galatians 5, we find that it is not just the foremost on that list, but in Galatians 5, love is the transcendent thought as a fruit-bearing Christian. Galatians 5 verse 14 says this, For all the love is fulfilled, uh, excuse me, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says the entire law is fulfilled in one word. One statement is really what he's saying there. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Not only is love the first on the list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it is transcendent. Love is not simply one of the fruits of a disciple. It is the definitive fruit of a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is true because it is the greatest manifestation of our Master. 
who laid down his life in love. And a disciple is only as good as the degree to which he aligns himself with his master. Is he not? A disciple is only as good as the degree to which he conforms himself to his master's teaching. If we want to be like the master, we must have love. Missionary McKinley spoke of it this morning. Those disciples, as he looked at the blind man, they looked at the man and they said, who has sinned? They saw no love for this man. They condemned him. They saw the sin, which was in their mind, but they didn't see the man. Missionary McKinley talked about how often we can do this in our own lives, where we see the sins, but we don't see the soul behind them. The love. It's a lack of understanding. So if we want to be like Jesus Christ, if I want to be like Jesus Christ, the key is exercising biblical love toward God and man. And as disciples... Jesus has elevated us beyond the status of servant and given us the status of friend. Notice what he says in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Jesus Christ says, I've made you more than just my servant. Yes, you are my disciple. But you're my friend. I am telling you everything that I know. I am telling you everything that the Father has told me to tell you. That you might bear fruit. That you might follow me completely. And by doing so, we recognize that our relationship with Jesus Christ is not simply your wish is my command, but a loving, reciprocal relationship of submission to Him as He lovingly provides for us. As we are connected to the vine, He empowers us and we bear fruit through Him. He empowers us, we serve Him. It's a reciprocal relationship. So if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are abiding in Him through loving submission, if we are aligned with Him, then verse 16 tells us we will bring forth much fruit. Ye have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. To what? Why has He chosen them? What has He chosen them unto? That ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. There's that word again, abide that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. It's a summary statement. Jesus Christ has chosen us by virtue of our salvation to go, to bring forth fruit, that our fruit should abide, that whatsoever we ask of the Father will be given to us, us to him, him to us, we serve him, he gives us life and joy and fruit, and abundance. It's a relationship between you and Christ. All around us, we see green trees. We're getting near here to summer. Beautiful. The lush, green grass, green trees, flowers blooming, cottonwood trees causing all sorts of allergies. 
We are carefully nurturing our gardens so that they might grow, so that we might profit from the fruit of the vine. As we observe this testimony in creation, we are observing a living testimony of the vital truth, this important truth that we as disciples are intimately connected to Jesus Christ. If you are a born-again believer in this room, you are in one of two places. As you look at a tree, you are either those branches that have leaves and are bearing fruit, or you are those branches that are dead, hanging on the tree, cluttering the tree. My wife and I, when we were in Colorado, cleaned up some trees with my father. My wife was up in one of those trees, tearing all those dead branches off and throwing them on the ground. We cut down a tree, we pulled it down, we cut it up into pieces, we stacked all the wood, took all the little branches, stacked it into a pile, it's going to be burned. We didn't tear off those that were abiding. We didn't cut off those branches that had leaves on them. In fact, the tree that we cut down, the first six feet or so, still had green, so we cut it from six feet up. We're not going to cut that which is abiding because it's abiding. It's bearing fruit. It's green. It's lush. It's alive. Question is, which are we? Is sin keeping us from abiding in Christ? If we are not abiding in Christ, then we're withered. We have no strength to bear fruit. Are distractions keeping Abiding in Christ. Are our priorities wrong, therefore we aren't abiding? Then we have strength and we will bear no fruit. And, ladies and gentlemen, if we are not bearing fruit, we are not accomplishing the purpose to which God has placed us on this earth to accomplish. He says, I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring fruit. Go and bring forth fruit. If we're not bringing forth fruit, then we are not doing what He has chosen and ordained us to do. If we are not bearing fruit, then the time we are spending upon this earth will simply burn up as a withered branch before the throne of heaven. That's what Jesus Christ is teaching here in John 15. See, a true disciple has borne fruit unto salvation that he might bear more fruit. A true disciple is expected to be a continual fruit bearer through the strength of Christ. And this true disciple's fruit His continual fruit will be evidenced in love. Will be evidenced in the pinnacle of that Christian virtue as we love one another. So as we learn these lessons from Jesus Christ in John 15, given to His disciples as they walked toward the garden, let it be a reminder to us. Maybe we need to search our own hearts. How much fruit has been borne out? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you attached to the vine? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you drawing your from the vine? So that you may accomplish the purpose that God has chosen you to upon this earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have chosen us to bear fruit. We recognize that we who 
have been purged, have been cleansed, are indeed cleansed. That we need not be cleansed again. That we are believers. And yet we recognize the stern warning here. That those who abide not will wither and will become unprofitable. Father, it's my prayer for myself as well as for every man, woman, and child in this room that there would be no unprofitable branches. That each one of us would abide in Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. May that be the testimony of each of our hearts this evening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have our sila. It's important to allow the Holy Spirit to apply these lessons to our heart. I've asked you a few questions this evening. A couple questions that can jog our thoughts toward are we or are we not abiding in Christ? Priorities? Sin? But the Holy Spirit knows, and you know through the Spirit as He searches your heart where you are. May I encourage you to examine your heart and allow this sila to be a time of examination. Perhaps a time of refocus that as we go throughout this week, we may meditate upon these truths and abide in Christ. This topic of abiding is one that is very um, familiar in song. And so we'll sing a couple of songs now about uh, directly related to John 15, this concept of abiding in Christ. As we do so, allow these songs to teach you, encourage you, uh, continue to meditate 
upon these concepts that Jesus Christ has taught in order that they may be firmly entrenched in our hearts and that we might purpose to meditate on them throughout the week. Take your spiral-bound songbooks with me and turn to number 158. As Pastor said, very applicable to the message. In fact, it says here, taken from John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me. Abide in me. Take your hymnal and turn to 283. 283 will have you stand with me. Now true vine that heals the nations, tree of life, thy branches we. prayer time this evening will focus in on pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we've prayed for um, this particular subset as we do focus prayer on our evening services. Um, so we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in review. Now before we, we review the pastors, the missionaries, the evangelists, let's take some time. If there is anything pressing that was not mentioned perhaps this morning, or that has come up that you would like to um, add to the list this evening? Is there anything that we can add to the list? Peyton? 
Okay, so we'll pray for Pastor Nichols in the hospital with chest pains. Anything else? Okay. We have an opportunity today to pray for missionaries when we had a missionary come through our doors this morning, uh, Missionary McKinley and his family. Uh, we can be praying for them as they begin raising their support. Um, they're in a, a bit of a unique situation. He's, of course, still working his job until such time as uh, their support reaches a level that he and his family can be sustained. And so we can pray that they would get to that point. He, he believes 30% of their support would be sufficient for that, uh, for them to sustain themselves on the road as they go from place to place. Um, they're at about 7% right now. And so we can be praying for them. They've only had, uh, I believe we were their 11th meeting or so. So they haven't had very many meetings, and he is booked through for the next three or four months, which is wonderful. Um, one of the things that we can be praying for, uh, his job requires him to travel. And as he mentioned this morning in his testimony, uh, that's actually where he felt the burden for Ireland is when he was traveling there on a business trip. And as such, he, he sometimes has to be gone on weekends. And him being booked through for the next three or four months means if he has to work on any given weekend, um, he would have to cancel his meetings, which is something he does not want to have to do. He actually called me this past Monday and canceled our meeting. Called me again on Tuesday and said, we're back on. Uh, his, his, his business trip got canceled that he thought he was going to have. Monday he was on it, Tuesday he was canceled, so he was able to be with us. But there, there's some, some difficulty there for him as they could, he could be asked to go on these business trips uh, at a minute's notice. So let's pray for him that his weekends would remain clear so that he can visit these churches that um, have been set up for him. He also mentioned during his sermon this Catholic family that he had spoken to a couple of weeks ago, I guess, or whenever it was in the park, and that they were going to be meeting with them soon and having um, a time of fellowship with them. And I thought it would be good for us to pray for them to pray for that opportunity, um, to pray for Missionary McKinley, that he would have clarity of thought and boldness as they interact, and to pray for this Catholic family that God would um, work on their hearts and in their hearts uh, through their interaction with Missionary McKinley. So let's be praying for them specifically in those regards. Um, we have many other missionaries on our list. The Hernandez family... I have not received an update from them in some time, so I do not know how um, Jennifer is doing as far as healing. Um, they had been praying for money for the building of a church uh, on that new land, we recall. Let's continue to pray for them in that regard. Um, the Friesens, we have no specific requests for them, but just for continued um, blessing as they are on deputation. The Moyers, they have been praying for 60% of their support by September 10th in order that they might be able to move on to um, this next stage in their training. So we can continue to pray for the Moyers, who are um, headed to the Ojibwe Indians in Canada. Um, the Bergmans, to the Jews in Cleveland, you can pray for um, Michael, Missionary Bergman's father, and many other requests there that uh, you perhaps have written down. Um, the Bells on deputation to Brazil. 
We can pray for them um, and their support. The Gillespie's heading to Papua New Guinea. And his specific request, as we remember, is uh, Peter Miapua, the Kaparopi tribe, and that they would learn the language quickly when they get to Papua New Guinea. And then the Myers, um, we can continue to pray for Brian's health as the Myers travel with their uh, creation ministry. Many pastors on our list, Pastor Watkins, Pastor Laux, Pastor Poorman, Pastor Houston, Pastor Jensen, specifically with him, his wife Loretta, has cancer. I, I have not heard how she's doing lately. Pastor Priggy, Pastor Hoopshire, Pastor Nichols, we added to the list this evening, and your pastor, Pastor Wickler. Please pray for me as well. Um, we all need prayer, and of course, the prayer, as we think of missionaries, pastors, evangelists in a general sense, pray for spiritual protection, pray for us to be disciplined, pray for us to abide in Christ as we ought, pray for us as we lead and make decisions, pray for us that we would keep our priorities proper, that we would have our priorities upon God and family then ministry, lest we, in performing the duties of our ministry, lose our personal relationship with Christ or lose our family. And so uh, that is a particular prayer request for any minister. Pray for encouragement in our hearts as we minister. For missionaries, pray for safety, pray for provision, pray for the testimony among the, the natives. I only have one evangelist on our list, and that's evangelist Norm Stevens. Though we might have some more come through in the years to come, and we will add them to our list as well. Is there anyone else that, that I did not mention that, that could be mentioned before we go to the Lord in prayer? And if you have them on your list, certainly you may pray for them um, as well. Mention them, Jared. Pastor Lent, thank you, Pastor Lent, up at, is it Independent Baptist Church, is that the name of his church, um, north of the cities, thank you, pray for, for him and his ministry as well, anyone else, okay, um, Evan, if you'd start us off please. And focus in on pastors, missionaries, evangelists. Certainly, if the Lord leads you to pray for something or someone else, please do so. And uh, then whoever would like to pray may pray, and I will close us either with prayer or with an amen.
Father, as we close in prayer this evening, I thank you um, that we are able to take time and put an emphasis in our evenings upon various aspects of, of need and uh, intercession. Thank you particularly that part of your people is a heart to pray for ministers. 
Lord, as I, I think of the pastors and the missionaries that have been mentioned on the list, as well as Evangelist Stevens and the many evangelists that are out there ministering as well, uh, thank you that you have called out these men, that you have given them burdens, uh, that you have placed us where you would have us to be, uh, that you have given us the means by which to minister by your grace and through your strength. I would ask that you would protect us, that you would help us to um, obey the word of God, to love the word of God, to be faithful to the word of God. Pray that you would protect our priorities, that we would keep you first, that we would have thriving relationship, a thriving relationship with you, that we would be abiding in your son, Jesus Christ, that we would have that fruit-bearing testimony in our own lives in order that we might reflect that testimony to our families and to our ministries. We pray that you would help us to guide and guard and train our families well, that you would give us grace to... raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to show our families the worth that we place upon them. Please help us not to take them for granted. Please help us not to ignore them. Please help us not to place other priorities, particularly ministry-related, above them so that we might lose them. For Father, as your word even testifies, if a man cannot rule his own household, then how can he be placed in rule over people of God? So please protect us. Please give us wisdom as we guide and raise our families. Please give us humility to remain submissive to the word of God and the will of God, to wrap our lives and ministries around the word of God, help us to avoid that snare whereby we are tempted to judge the word of God instead of allowing the word of God to judge us. Please help us to avoid that snare whereby we Seek to teach that which we are not doing ourselves. Help us to lead by example. Help us to show forth the word of God in action, not just in word. Please do guide and direct us, as was already mentioned, as we preach and prepare. Please help us to accurately reflect the word of God. We pray specifically for those missionaries that are out there uh, already on the field that you would provide for their every need, particularly as churches uh, are lessening support due to um, their own economic problems. We pray that you would help these missionaries to remain disciplined, to remain focused on the field, to remain devoted to you, to reflect well God to their own um, communities and cultures, 
that they would have the wisdom to know um, how to reach the culture that they are in, that they would well assimilate into the people groups that they are seeking to reach, that they would become all things to all men, that they may by all means win some. Please protect them from the governments that would seek to thwart them. Please protect them from the people that would seek to um, disrupt their ministries. Please protect them physically, health-wise. Particularly, we think of those families up in places like Papua New Guinea where uh, malaria is very uh, frequent and uh, these sorts of diseases that uh, you would protect them, keep them healthy, help them to be able to conduct their ministry and in a manner that is full of vigor and strength. Lord, we commit these men to you, knowing that um, they have been called by you, and that it is you who will keep them. And may they reflect well the call that you have given to them. Before we close, I would uh, continue to pray for Mike that his arm would heal quickly. And for Peyton, that you would give her and the family wisdom with medical decisions, that you would strengthen her, allow her to sleep well, uh, give her um, the rest and the strength she needs, and heal her body. We thank you that they are both with, with us this evening. And we thank you for those that are in fellowship with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we will close with a song and then be dismissed. Take your songbooks with me. Turn to number 70. Be strong in the Lord. It's a good closing song. Have you stand with me as we sing number 70.